business owners will put themselves in a role in the business that like suits them rather than what suits the business. And in order to really grow your business, you have to evolve yourself. You have to upskill, you have to grow, you have to transform, and that's painful and hard. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. Welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. We are so grateful for you to be here. This is your host, Alex Kremer. I am pumped about today's conversation. I have been trying to get Nick on the show here for a while, and he agreed. I am grateful for that. He is going to be hopefully dropping some nuggets here. So first off, Nick, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It only took you 432 cold calls, a couple LinkedIn in-mails, and I was the toughest prospect to book in the world. Not really. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Dude, only like, you know, 14 or so sequences were used between calls, emails, LinkedIn touches. It was the whole, I had the full blast going at you. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. So, Nick, let me give a little bit of an intro here for you. You are the founder of of 30 Minutes to President's Club, where sellers and leaders get to learn and develop tactical skills to help them close massive deals and enjoy pina colada sitting on the beaches of President's Club. And I personally have been a longtime listener of the podcast. And fun fact, I was actually just on the show and was able to learn like, what does a great podcast look and feel like? I mean, it is it is great. You are at 30 Minutes President's Club providing incredible set of templates and resources such as call scripts, sequences, breakdowns, you name it. You got your newsletter as well as 30-minute live breakdowns of actual sales tactics and action. So you're just providing an immense amount of value to the sales world. You're partnering with organizations like Outreach, Clary, ZoomInfo, essentially every single important and big-time tech company is somehow, it looks like, a part of 30 Minutes Presence Club. You're a former wrestler at USC. You're actually now a coach at USC as well. You live in the beautiful Los Angeles area. And on a side note, Nick, I think you have one of the best podcast voices that I have listened to. I don't know if you've gotten that compliment before, but it is unique. It is different. It's good, man. It gets people leaning in. You know, it's so funny you say that because, well, one, I do get that one a lot. And when I started my career, in sales. So first of all, let's go all the way back to like middle school. I got made fun of for my voice so much because I have a sort of unique and pretty high voice. My very first sales job, Alex, I'm extremely, extremely nervous to be making my cold calls. And I don't just go up one octave on those nervous cold calls. I'm going up like five or six. And I got mistaken as a woman like 35% of the time, which only made me more nervous and it was like this vicious cycle. And I think I found the right place for me now where it's good that I have this voice. But oh, at the time, I remember just sweating bullets being like, Ugh. oh, my God, that is good. I would have not guessed that. But it's good to hear that what you once were made fun of has now become a phenomenal asset to you that has provided you so much. So who would have thunk it, you know? I appreciate it. So I want to start with a random fact about you that you shared with me in one of our previous conversations. And you said that since sixth grade, you've been journaling two pages on a yellow pad, both the front as well as the back, every single day. 
every single day you were doing, I believe you're doing it at night, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You got it right there in front of you. First off, like what sixth grader starts doing that and makes that commitment? And also just tell me why you do that. I thought it was such a good thing. I was like, man, that, that inspires me to step up. Well, I'm lucky that I got in the habit of it early. And at this point in my, like if I was trying to start that habit today, wouldn't be able to do it probably. So it goes all the way back, like in third grade, I think we had an assignment one year where we were supposed to like write a page every day, but we did it in class. And like, for whatever reason that got stuck in my brain. And so if you flash forward to sixth grade, when the girl that I had a crush on didn't like me back and I got brutally rejected and I was all in my feels, I remember going home and I had a notebook and wrote my feelings out and it felt good. So I kept doing it. I've stuck with it. It's probably the greatest tool that I have in my arsenal to deal with the chaos, navigate the chaos and challenges and adversity of life. And a lot of people ask me, oh, what do you do? Do you have a special format? Like, what what do you always make sure you include? And honestly, the answer to that's nothing. I open the journal every night before I go to bed. First page, I usually just brain dump whatever's on my mind. And sometimes it's important stuff. Sometimes it's not important stuff. Sometimes I'm writing out my workout schedule for the next week. Other times I'm writing out, I'm really frustrated because this deal that I'm working, the customer is really frustrating me. And I just, I let it just pour out. And I think that's important because sometimes we try to live life extremely, extremely logical, step-by-step structured, but we're human beings. We're emotional creatures, and I feel like it helps me sometimes tame that chaos where I get all those thoughts and feelings onto a piece of paper, and it allows me to objectively look at and say, okay, that's there. Then what I'll usually do the next page, I'll actually write out my sort of game plan for the next day. And if you actually think about these things, they're very much interrelated because I'm usually brain dumping how I felt that day, what happened that day, the things that are frustrating, exciting, etc. from that day. And that will oftentimes inform my action for the next day. And so I'm dealing with this challenging customer. Well, I probably want to take action related to that in the next day. And so I'll actually, I'll pull up my phone and I'll open my calendar app and I'll look at everything that I have going on that next day. And I'll start to make a plan. I'll say, okay, I've got a meeting here, a meeting here. At this time, I'm doing this. Okay, I can probably fit in some time to tackle this thing with the customer here. I can fit in a workout at three o'clock. Awesome. I'm going to do that. And that helps give me some certainty for the next day. There's times I just ramble about nothing in the journal, but I would say about 80% of the time, this is the approach I take. Page one, I'm getting some emotional stability and clarity around what has happened in the past. And then I'm spending some time or, or the present, you know, it's sort of the intermingled. And then the future of what's the next day going to look like. And what that allows me to do also is start to steal myself, start to prepare myself to be the kind of person that I want to be the next day. So I might see that, wow, I've got back to back to backs and then I've got an open block for 90 minutes. I know I'm going to be exhausted when that 90 minute open time starts. So I probably need to plan ahead that I'm going to take a quick break there, but then I'm going to have to be tough in the rest of that hour because that might be my only hour to get something important out the door. What this allows me to do is start to prepare myself to make the decision for the type of person that I want to be in advance. And I think that's a really important thing because when we are in the moment, we're governed by our emotions and our feelings and the shiny object syndrome. But if I can say, hey, this time tomorrow, this time next week, I foresee this challenge, opportunity, event, thing... I can be a little bit distanced from how I'm feeling in that moment and 
decide the type of person that I want to be. And I think that's probably the most impactful piece of journaling is it allows me to look and say, here's who I've been. Here's how I feel about that. Here's what's going on. And I get to make a conscious choice that's not governed by the chaos of the present about who I will be tomorrow. Mm. I view it as it's your practice. I mean, and there's many modalities to practice. I mean, there's meditation, there's breath work, there's yoga. You just came from a great yoga sesh, hot yoga to be specific. And, you know, this is part of your practice. I don't know if you've missed a few days, but I always feel like if I miss a day of meditating in the morning, like that's a big part of my practice, it hits like 11 o'clock, 1130 in the morning. And I'm just like, man, why do I feel weird? Oh, I didn't meditate this morning. Has it become just like so part of your being that it literally is impacting you if you, for whatever reason, skip it or can't allocate as much time and energy towards it? Yeah. Part of the reason that I do it right before I go to bed is I believe it's very, very challenging to control the middle of your day. I mean, you lead a team, there's probably all sorts of fires that come up and things that happen and the plumbers at the door, and it can be hard to control the middle of the day. But you can almost always control what you do first thing in the morning and right before you go to bed. And so I put it right before I go to bed. I can't fall asleep if I don't do it. So I do it every night. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like when I asked you initially to be on this podcast, one of the first thing you said is, so you know I'm not a leader, right? You're like, I'm sort of an individual leader. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, you founded a company and you also speak with leaders literally every single day. I mean, I look at the list of some of the people that you've had. You've had Chris Orlov on, Mark Casaglo, Kevin Dorsey, Samantha McKenna, Devin Reed. These are names. There's like, man, that person knows stuff. And they've been on his show. <laughs> and Nick has had conversations with him. So even though you maybe don't have, so to speak, the leadership experience, you are very much a leader. You embody that. There wouldn't be the transmission that's, so to speak, coming from 30 Minutes of President's Club if you didn't embody that. People look at 30 Minutes of President's Club, man, what a great podcast. It's getting tons of engagement. Wow, they got these great sponsors. But it didn't just happen overnight. I would love for you to go back to what was the impetus of it? What was the like, man, we need this, I need this, and the journey that it took to get to what it is now, and you can feel the momentum, it's still growing. How was that journey? Mala will go back to when I had the high-pitched voice and I was making the cold calls and I was terrified and I was sweating. And part of the reason I was terrified and I was sweating and my voice went up six octaves was because I didn't know what to say when the other person picked up the phone. I was in my first ever SDR job and it was one of those companies where they hand you the list of accounts, they give you the phone and they say, get dialing. Here's another thing. So I live in Southern California, as you mentioned, and there's really bad traffic here and I don't like sitting in traffic. And so I bought an electric bicycle. It still had like the pedals. It's like an electric assist bicycle. And I would ride 12 miles each way to work, which took me like 45 minutes. And it's not like that hard of a ride. It's like walking for 45 minutes, but I would ride to work and I would ride back. So I had 90 minutes of like cruising on the e-bike a day. And I sort of got sick of listening to the same music again and again and again. So I started listening to podcasts when I was going to and from the office. So I started listening to these sales podcasts because I was struggling in the job and wanted to figure out how to actually do the job. So I'm listening to these shows and I kept hearing, you got to sell value. You got to have empathy. You've got to be a great listener. The negotiation starts from the first conversation. And I kept hearing stuff like that. And I'm like, I know this. Any human being with a pulse knows that you've got to be a good listener to succeed in sales. How do I actually do that? There is so much content out there around the what, 
uh, rather uh, around the what, right? And not enough around the how. Great. I know I need to have empathy in sales. I can try to put myself there, but like, what do I do when the customer shows up on the demo and they're like, all right, show me the demo. Or like you get on the first discovery call and they're like, all right, give me your pitch. How do I have empathy in that situation? Like, how do I be a good listener when they just said, give me your pitch? I've got 15 minutes. I know you scheduled this for an hour. I've got 15 minutes. Let's get on to the demo. Like, what do I do in those scenarios? How do I have empathy when I'm making a cold call? All of the sales content I found out there did not address that. It didn't address the, here's how you might actually consider doing that. There were some podcasts and other pieces of content out there, like other content channels. I also listened to a real estate investing podcast because I own some rental property. And so I listened to these different real estate investors talking about the success that they've had. But one of my frustrations with a lot of content out there is it's too long form. And what I mean by that is the guest caveats their answer like six times. So, you know, you, you say, Nick, what's the key to making a cold call? And I go, well, it really depends on the industry that you're in and, you know, how long you've been cold calling and how much research you know about the person and this and this and this. But here's what I would say you should say. And I, I'm like, just get to the point. I don't need all the caveats. I don't need to hear about this research from 16 different universities where they looked at the amygdalas of lab rats. And here's how that impacts your selling motion. I just want to know what to do. I want the practical application. I trust that the content curators that I'm listening to are finding people who are reputable and I can trust. So I don't need all these caveats and research and backstory. I want to know what to do. I want to know what action I should be taking. And there was none of that in the sales space. There was none of that in the sales space. I would listen to long form podcasts and I would get one or two nuggets in an hour and a half. And that wasn't enough. So I'll go back. My best friend from college, who was actually my college wrestling training partner, Armand Farouk, was also working in sales at the time. He was working up in the Bay Area. I was in LA. And he and I were investing in real estate together. We actually still own some property together, which is a fun fact and a fun experience. And fun is definitely in air quotes. But <laughs> we would talk every week. You know, We would just go through, all right, what's going on with the properties that we own? You know, What do we need to do? Oh, there's a maintenance request. Let's fix this. We would also talk about sales a little bit. He was leading a team of like 40 reps at Carta at the time, and he was putting together a negotiation playbook for them. And he was like, hey, man, like, I'm trying to put this thing together. Here's my outline for it. Can you give me just like all the stuff that you know about negotiation? And he and I had like a 20 minute conversation. We were going back and forth and back and forth. We added a ton of stuff. And we we're like, man, like that could have been a pretty good podcast that actually would have helped people. That was driver one for wanting to start it. And I'll give you the short version for driver two of why we did it. Driver two was, I think Armand and I both wanted to build a structured and effective rhythm for networking with people that we actually wanted to build relationships with. I don't really like going to the networking happy hour where you have three drinks, you eat a bunch of fried shrimp, and then you go home feeling like that was sort of a waste of time. And so we said, what if we intentionally sought out people who are way better sellers than we are. We brought them on our show. We asked them only and exclusively about stuff that salespeople could do, say, or write. The practical stuff, the how, not the what. And then what we did is we recorded with them for an hour and threw half of the interview in the trash so that it was only the best stuff. So that the density of value of the content was so much better than anything out there. I've just rambled at you tremendously, which I don't normally get to do because on my sales calls, I'm supposed to be a good listener, but maybe I don't have to be. So I'll shut up and I'll let you ask me a question. <laughs> I'm vibing with this. I would not call it rambling. It's got some sizzle and some fire into it. So I'm buckled in and ready to go. 
I really like this because when I was at Outreach, I remember a core pillar that I really rallied the team around was you're not a sales rep, you're a sales professional. Mm -hmm. Just as much as an engineer is an engineer, a doctor is a doctor, you are a sales professional. Mm -hmm. You know, a great sales professional represents a great product. And then a great sales process represents a great customer success and onboarding experience. At Outreach, we were also sales professionals selling a sales engagement platform to sales leaders. It was a very meta world. So I was all about like, let's become better at the craft. Yes. I think what you're speaking to is like, people crave, just teach me some strategies. Teach me some frameworks. Teach me the five-step discovery step process to help to quantify the pain. Teach me a three-step process of a question, how I give a rebuttal and name a price to get something to so- somebody signed by the end of this month at an agreed upon price right here. Those are so important right there that, to be honest, I think is pretty rare. Not many people actually know how to do that. And what you're showing, what you are doing, you're just giving people access to this stuff that is very much being craved by everybody. Well, it's craved by buyers who are sick of having a crummy selling experience. But I'll tell you why I actually think people consume our content. And I think there's some percentage that want to make more money. They want to go to President's Club. They want to be number one on the leaderboard. But I actually think a lot of people seek out sales performance content because selling is really, really hard and it's really, really scary. It's really scary to get on a discovery call with a CFO who's 30 years your senior who clicked get a demo on your website. And now you've got to turn that person into spilling their guts about how they've got a cash flow issue and they just wanted to see a demo. And I think a lot of salespeople are terrified of that interaction. And when you can actually have some guidance around, hey, here's the professional way to navigate that interaction, it's a really peaceful, calming feeling. I mean, I still remember the best AE that I ever learned from was a guy named Riley Devine. He was still at Outreach. And I used to just ask him like, hey, I have this call, what should I do? When he used to just start talking, I used to start typing. And I would just essentially try to repeat exactly what he said. What's interesting is you're contradicting what you're actually teaching on your show. Because I remember before the show, you came here like, hey, man, this is all about strategy and tactics. I don't want any of the mindset stuff. I don't want any of the, the theory, the theology around it. Give me the tactics. But what you're speaking to there is the confidence in the tactics and the strategies is actually giving you the theory, the mindset side of it. They're actually completely related. You nailed it. It's competence. Competence is what actually breeds success and like the right mindset. And like, let's use the wrestling example, right? I was a wrestler in college. If I'm about to walk out on the mat and wrestle some dude who's freaking jacked and he's a three-time national champ and is a way, way better wrestler than me. And I've been skipping workouts. I've been eating Cheetos and like haven't been getting my sleep. I've been going out partying. I don't feel very good because I'm about to get my butt kicked. But if I've been training, if I've been putting the work in, I still might be a little bit nervous. I still might be a little bit anxious, but I've got some confidence here. I'm going to I'm going to come out swinging. One of my frustrations with a lot of the mindset content or I want to be careful about what I say here because I don't talk about this a lot on like my podcast or like publicly. I've really invested a lot in my mental health over the last couple years, particularly related to like the turbulence of running a business and stuff that's happened in my personal life. And I started going to therapy about a year and a half ago. It's been a game changer for me. 
It's been a game changer for me. But one of my concerns is I see a lot of people almost over-rotating in that direction and not enough into some of the skills that you need to actually sell. I truly believe that mental health, mindset, hard work, discipline, caring, empathy, listening, that's the stuff that really is going to make you a successful salesperson. But if I cold call a CFO and what comes out of my mouth is, hey, Alex, this is Nick with 30MPC. How are you today? And even if I deeply, deeply care, I deeply care about how you are doing today, Alex, that person has no reason to believe that. And that's what every salesperson says. We should be talking about mental health and sales. I think it's really, really important. But I also believe that if you don't spend some time talking about the actual technical element of how to sell, the what to do, you can't have one without the other is my belief. Amazingly said right there. You know, if you are, let's just say you're an accountant and you're depressed, you could probably still do your job as an accountant. If you're an engineer and you're depressed, you could probably, not to diminish those roles, but like there's a tactical. If you're depressed in sales, good luck, dude. That's going to create a transmission. And whether people realize it, they're going to feel it. And they're going to feel a certain sense of resistance to you. The sales tactics and strategies are definitely important. But if they're not built upon a foundation of mental health, emotional health, even spiritual health, you're going to lack a sense of fulfillment. It's not going to be able to stand on something. Yeah, I mean, the focus of the 30 Minutes to President's Club content is like all practical, tactical. We don't talk about mindset or hiring or culture or mental health. The stuff that we don't talk about is actually more important. The thing is, there's so many other places that you can go get it, grab it, take it. Just because it's the focus of our content of 30 MPC doesn't mean it's like, dude, I write in a journal every night. I go to therapy. I was at a hot yoga class earlier because that's like a big piece of the mindfulness work that I do. And so none of this should be taken to diminish. That stuff is what is going to give you a rich and fulfilling life, which matters a heck of a lot more than just being great at sales. Yeah. So let's keep this going. You and Armand, you started this podcast. You started this company and now it's grown exponentially. It's one of the more well-known sales podcasts. You know, you talk about, hey, you know, a year and a half ago, I had to really start getting some support. A lot of people have either started their own company or are starting a side gig or want to do it. And they're like, oh, this seems like a behemoth of a thing. Where would I even start? Well, I know it's going to be hard as hell. How has that gone? What's the journey of that actually like since you actually started it? Yeah, I mean, we took a different approach than like, I think what a lot of people think of when they think of your traditional entrepreneur who like quit their job, they sell their possessions, they go all in on the company from day one. That's not the approach that we took. We started 30 Minutes to President's Club as a side hustle and we ran it as a side hustle until we were making more money from that as I was in my normal sales shop. There's pros and cons to that. The pro is that it allowed us to build the business in the right way. It would have been really easy for us had we been dependent upon the business to pay our rent and pay for groceries. We probably would have made decisions around how we monetized differently than we did because we didn't have that pressure of we had our normal sales jobs. We were making good money doing those and we were doing this on the side. So the pro is it extended, we had an infinite runway in theory in that starting, I mean, it was a couple thousand dollars to probably get the equipment, get the editing. We paid for some editing credits with the company and like the hosting platform. And we figured, all right, you know, worst case scenario, we get a really big following. We secure our careers because we got a big following, like we'd pay for that. So it sort of secured us there. The con to side hustling as long as we did was there was a period of time where for six months, every single Saturday, Armand and I would, would get on a Zoom in the morning and we'd be on for like 
six hours working on all the behind the scenes stuff of the business. We were in a place in our life where like neither of us have kids. It was easier for us to do that. But there were a lot of like nights and weekends. And I remember we had to record an episode once at like 6am. And that was terrible. But there's lots of directions I could go in talking about what the growth of the business has been. How do you tap in to the vision of it? You didn't just start a podcast. You've had to think about it a lot. You've had to change your whole identity to be able to do this. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. You've had to believe in yourself and have the confidence to do that. I'm doing that right now with myself as I'm building this podcast, as I'm doing Alluvians, it's really starting to gain traction. I'm like, damn, what am I doing? Oh man, there's a possibility of this really becoming a big thing. From a going to like a Nick perspective, what's the work that you've had to really do and maybe even some of the limiting beliefs you've had to fucking face because of what you're really building. I'm lucky that I have Armand. And I think he would say, first he would make a joke, and then he would say, I am lucky to have Nick because he and I, we help coach each other and break each other out of the limiting beliefs that we have. There's a book that I read a couple years ago called The E-Myth, which stands for, I think, like the entrepreneur myth. And one of the philosophies in that book, it says, most business owners will put themselves in a role in the business that like suits them rather than what suits the business. And in order to really grow your business, you have to evolve yourself. You have to upskill. You have to grow. You have to transform. And that's painful and hard. The last time I wrote in my journal, that was one of the things I was writing about. We're in a period of growth right now where it's like our minds, especially as we get older, become more and more rigid and less open to seeing things differently, doing things differently, breaking out of the long-held limiting beliefs. And that's one that I have to keep telling myself, this mental frustration you feel about wanting to change the way you're doing things, that's because you're being forced to upskill. And so I think Armand and I help each other when he's getting stuck on something, I can help pull him out of it. And when I'm getting stuck on something, he can help pull me out of it. There was a period where like, I run our entire sales organization at 30 Minutes to President's Club. So I'm the one responsible for closing all of our advertiser deals. And this was really before I felt like we had true product market fit in terms of like how we go to market and work with our advertisers. But I was selling a $5,000 deal here and a $7,000 deal here. And we had some people who were paying pretty big dollars. But like I was selling a lot of like, I was chasing smaller deals and spending a lot of time on that. And Armand finally just had a really frank conversation. He's like, dude, we can't actually grow the business if you're spending all your time on that. Let's play it out. You just sold a guest on our show for 5,000 bucks. Just multiply that by 52. Like that's not enough to cover all of us. We only do 52 episodes a year. And he really like punched me in the face. And I remember getting off this Zoom with him. I was in Hawaii when it happened. I was on vacation with my girlfriend and her family. 
and I got COVID in Hawaii. And so I'm just stuck, you know, I had to quarantine in a room. And so I was working to figure maybe I'll take a vacation when I get back home. And I'm on the Zoom and I remember shutting the computer and being angry at him. My mind was so yeah. like the limiting belief. I was like, how is he telling? He goes, we should do triple whatever you're like charging. I'm like, dude, we can't do this. Like, yeah, we can. Like, he goes, I want to see you lose more deals is what he said to me. I want to see you lose more deals. He goes, you're optimizing to win every single deal. You shouldn't be doing that. And it was a punch that, in the face. That, it was a punch in the gut. That's powerful. So we did this. I took his advice. We really beefed up. We changed the way we were selling. And I just told you, oh, I run our sales organization. And so that was a blow to my ego to be told, hey, dude, you're, you're kind of doing this all wrong. And I frequently look back on that conversation where I shut my computer and I was angry. And I definitely wrote in my journal after that. But I took his advice and I trusted my business partner because of the advice that he gave me. We were able to bring him on full time. We have another partner who founded the business who heads up all of our operations. We were able to bring him on full time. I frequently look back on that conversation. And there's a great quote. It takes courage to stand up to your enemies, but it takes even more to stand up to your friends. There's a lot of ways I could have reacted to Armand in that scenario. And I probably did. I resisted, resisted, resisted. But I look back on that one so much because I was like, I'm not always right. And he's not always right. But one of the things he and I have been talking about a lot is we're interested in getting it right more than we are in being right. And that's really required me to strip my ego which is really, really hard. Really, really hard. It's critical. That to me, that's part of that upskilling. That's part of that leveling up. It's not a hard skill. By hard skill, I mean, it's not knowing how to code, but it's a soft skill, losing your ego, but it's the most important thing. That's a great nugget right there. I view it as Armand got to the friction. Yeah. You know, it's like, I even relate it to sales when you're just continually getting a yes and a yes and a yes from the prospect. It's like, you need to get to the friction as soon as possible. Like, hey, sounds like there's a lot of yes. Why not not just send over the contract? You guys sign it. Let's get this thing going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we've gotten to the friction. And I even remember one of my old bosses, he had told me how to do a part of my job. I didn't like how he said it to me. And I was thinking about it over the weekend. And I finally like, I said, hey, I want to have a conversation with you about how you gave me that feedback. And I gave him very direct feedback about how he gave me that feedback. I still remember the first thing he said is, first of all, I just want to thank you for giving me this because I know it's a hard conversation. But because you chose to have this conversation, it actually builds a lot of trust within me that when something's wrong, you're going to presence it. You're going to make sure you're not going to let it fester and create this underlying resentment, whether it's a romantic partnership or a business partnership or a manager to rep. When something's up, fucking tell me about it so that I don't need to worry and lose hours of sleep of what's going on. (laughs) because something doesn't feel right. That's a great partnership between you and Armand right there. Yeah, when you avoid having those hard conversations, you're trading a short-term tough moment for long-term dysfunction. You're sacrificing, you're saying, I want to avoid this hard moment because you probably had to muster some courage, Alex, to have that conversation with your boss. But I'd rather have a tough 10, 15-minute conversation than long-term dysfunction over years. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So... You're here now. You are in this state of your journey of being Nick. Where do you go next? Where does your vision really start to go? You know, if we think of Nick Sigelski over the next 10, 15, 20 years, where do you really see yourself manifesting into? I don't know if you're going to like the answer to my question because (laughs) 
I'm just going to give the exact same answer that I gave in fifth grade at the end of the year. You want to be an astronaut? No, no, no. In fifth grade, right before you move up to the new school and go to sixth grade, we had a questionnaire that all the students had to fill out of your favorite memory for the year. And it was like a memory book, basically. And everybody had to write, what did they want to be when they grew up? I wrote Nick Sigelski because I wanted to be me. And I got made fun of that for that one also. So between my voice and that dorky answer, I don't know. I mean, I don't look out that far, but three things that are really important to me. I've really tried to narrow my focus in the past year because as our business has grown, I've had to say no to more things, but I'm doing the politician thing where I answer a totally different question. But I'll tell you the three big things that matter to me are my physical health, a select couple relationships in my life. I have acquaintances, I have buddies, but like there's a couple relationships that I almost want to 80-20 it. They're the most important ones. And right now, my business, Growing 30 Minutes to President's Club, we have a lot. You know, we just brought on Armand full-time in the beginning of the year, and we just brought on our other partner full-time about a month ago. And so the 30 Minutes to President's Club that most people see today, June 2023, is a product of really three part-time folks. We have aspirations to create a lot more valuable, helpful, practical, actionable, usable content in sales and eventually even beyond sales. So the focus is on that right now. That's it. I mean, I've really had to build my, we talked about upskilling earlier. I've had to build my no muscle. I've had to really build the muscle of saying no to stuff. People who I like their content and they outbound me to come on our podcast and they're just not the right fit for the type of guests that we're looking for. And I have to say no to them. And that can jar me a little bit. It's tough for me to say that. So I just try to say it with kindness and grace. And I wish I could say yes to everything. I don't want you to take so I'm so important. I have to turn down a lot of podcast asks like to go on people's shows. I have to turn down a lot of prospective sponsors who can't afford our minimum entry price. And I guess sometimes I have to lean on the quote when you say no to one thing, you're really saying yes to something else. Mm. Hmm. The 80-20 rule really stuck out to me right there. Yeah. Of who are you developing relationships with? And I guess I'm curious, when you look for people to be in relationship with, the select few, who and what are the types of people that you want to be in partnership with, in relationship with? I don't think I have any qualifying criteria. I think that's a foolish way to simplify the complexity of human beings. You know, when you meet someone, you can kind of feel if you connect with them or not. So I don't think I can answer that question with, here's the six things that I look for. But I don't know, some of those people are my girlfriend who I've been with for eight and a half years and my mom and both my grandparents on my mom's side are both still alive. And my best friend from high school just had a son. He just had a baby. And so I'm flying back home in a couple of days to like meet his son. And there's people that I've known for a really long time. There's people that I've also known for a short time that also really matter to me. But those are the relationships that I think are important to keep up. I'll tell you one interesting story sort of related to 80-20. You know, when you go on Facebook, you have the option to unfollow somebody where you're still friends, but like you don't see their stuff anymore. I have unfollowed every single person that is my Facebook friend, including my mom, my brother, my girlfriend, these people that are important to me. So when I go on Facebook, literally my newsfeed is empty. There's nothing there. And the reason that I did that was I was putting so much time into just seeing what acquaintances were doing and Facebook was pushing content at me related to my relationships. 
And I wanted to be intentional about where I used that time. And so when I unfollowed everybody, I thought, oh, now I'm going to have to like seek out and say, well, what's my mom up to? What's my brother up to? I actually don't even do that. It basically made me stop going on Facebook because it was useless. And I reallocated all that time into using the magic device called the phone that you can book sales meetings with and catch up with your mother with on the phone. So I've just started doing that more. I started saying, why am I wasting my time doing this? And don't get me wrong, like I still have an Instagram, but I deleted it from my phone. I'll occasionally download it when I want to make a post and like do a quick scroll of what's going on. But social media is a double-edged sword, man. Like it's crazy because so much of my business is based on LinkedIn. It's how we promote our podcast, our webinars. It's how I get in contact with sponsors. But if it were up to me, I would totally abstain from social media. I guess it is up to me, but it's such a big part of our business. It's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. I think let's just say those select few are lucky people right there. Your mother seems like a gem. Yeah, she is. She's great. I think my mom probably spurred my interest in a lot of the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club stuff because she does a lot of like communication and like HR training where she'll teach people how to have effective conversations at work. And you can see how that's very much related to like 30 Minutes to Presidents Club-esque stuff. So yeah, my mom's a special person. Well, well, on behalf of everybody, we appreciate and thank your mom. (laughs) So I I just want to acknowledge you, brother. Thank you for your energy that you bring is infectious. I feel lit up. Like I feel like I'm going to need to go on a run or something after this conversation because you bring that vibe. You bring also that fine balance between the tactics as well as the mindset and find that sacred third between the two of those there. And just hearing where you've come from and the vision of where you're going to, I think there's a lot of people, myself very much included, who say, oh, that's a roadmap. That's a helpful journey to take. So thank you for just sharing that here and and being so authentic with it. And so my final question is this, my friend, the show is obviously called the rising leader podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? You know, you told me about this question in advance and I said, I'm going to have to think about it. But then I just talked so much of this interview, I didn't think about it. Something that's been a leader in my life and something that I've really leaned into a lot recently. I think mindfulness and I'll tell, I'll tell you a recent paradigm shift that I had. And I think this is something that I'd like to see more, particularly in the world of sales. So hopefully I can make this sort of thing a leader. But I used to think that really being like kind and having empathy, I didn't see that as strength. I saw it as just like totally different quality. And I'd like to see more people can understand the relationship between the two. Sometimes being kind to other people who are struggling or have a different point of view or have hurt you, it takes a lot of strength to not be a jerk and want to punch them. It takes a lot of strength, I think, to have kindness, but in a firm way. It might not be a leader right now, but I'd like to see more people lean into that because it's something that's really helped me recently. Well said. Well said. Appreciate it. Nick, what is the best way if people want to get in touch with you, follow you, engage with your content? Yeah, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, my first name is easy. It's Nick. My last name is a little tougher. It's C-E-G-E-L-S-K-I. And I accept every LinkedIn connection request, except the ones that say, Nick, would you like to buy some leads or anything related to Bitcoin? I usually just decline. But yeah, connect with me. I really appreciate you having me on. This was a really awesome session. Thank you. This was a really good session, man. Thank you for being on and for all the listeners. Just thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this. If you like this, make sure you follow us. Or if someone needs to hear this, send it. Don't think, just send it along to them. And thank you for being here. So Nick, thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. 
We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area, and make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluviance.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.